that tells you how weird it was. And then I sent it to Luke and Thomas. Thomas sends it to his dad. His dad is on a bus. I don't know where they were with Joe Diffie and Sammy Kershaw. And he plays it. And the report we got back was that Joe Diffie loved it. And of course, Sammy was a little irritated that he had not been referenced. Welcome to the Gary Scott Thomas Show. Here's what we know. The podcast with unexpected conversations. Listen each week as we engage in unscripted conversations where we'll be just as surprised as you will be with where the dialogue goes. So join us each week and be privy to the captivating conversations that are sure to ensue. Here's your host, Gary Scott Thomas. I finally got Barry Dean. I've been, how long have I been after you now? What, four, five minutes? It's been a minute. Yes, it's been a minute. But I mean, you've just been just being nice. You are so worth worth waiting for. You've just been so busy, and I totally get that. And we're gonna we're gonna get into just how and what takes up all of Barry's time because he's got a lot of things doing. But it has been such a delight to try to get to you. And it's one of the biggest and best songwriters in Nashville. We can go. We can go through all of the little songs, all the little hit songs that he's had, which are you'll get to use the word plethora a lot. <laughs> but Barry I need a, you to call me every day. Encourage me. Like this every day. Of hit songs that we'll go over, and yours has been such. Yours has been such a fun journey to how you got there. You mean, yeah, that's right. A little different. Mm-hmm. What's my truth? I mean, look up perseverance in the dictionary and you're probably going to see that face. Right. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who are watching uh, on the video and stuff. I mean, you you are the um, you are the hopes and dreams of every small town person. Yeah. Well, I that's nice to say that but I, I understand that feeling of being so far away from it. And as any and I was older, too. So I kind of the time had passed me and I hadn't done that. And so, you oh, I think that's so gone. And then I got to come back to it. So I, I like to say I'm the person happiest to be a songwriter in Nashville, Tennessee. And I just How old were you when you found out there was a Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania? <laughs> I was pretty old. I, mean, I think we knew uh, probably, I would guess in grade school because of the Steelers. That, But I didn't understand the age. I, and I still haven't really heard why I, I assume we don't have an H because we don't have enough people for it, is all I can think at the end of Pittsburgh. But uh, we just end a G. There was no, they're, they're not for fancying things up there in Pittsburgh, Kansas. There's Pittsburgh, Kansas, y'all. There's not only yeah. Manhattan, Kansas. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> very funny. <laughs> We're aspirational. And there's nothing I, mean, else. <laughs> I, think to, I mean, the tourism board is working overtime. You know, <laughs> those inattentive travelers that book their flight. Yeah. Well, yeah, you've got, I mean, in the Midwest, if you think about it, you've got Pittsburgh, Kansas, Manhattan, Kansas, Miami, Ohio. Yeah, that's right. Well, and also Kansas City is a little uh, iffy as well. It makes me wonder if we weren't just copying Kansas City, Missouri. So those, again, inattentive travelers would be like, I'm here to see the Chiefs and the Royals. and the." I'm sorry, that's Kansas City, Missouri. It's just right over there. Yeah, yeah. it's just so flat. We're just, you know, everything kind of looks the same. So we kind of figure, really? I mean, you know, we can call it anything and everywhere. Well, you moved to Pittsburgh, Kansas, because you 
you started off in the, I can't even pronounce the name of the town in Oklahoma. Oh yeah, I was born in Oak Mulgee, Oklahoma. See, my dad. <laughs> Who the hell knows how to pronounce Oak Mogi? That's right. Yeah, Oak Mogi. Yeah, they and um, my dad was the track coach and a and a taught shop and those kinds of things at the Wilika High School. Wilika. It's a, it looks like Wilika, uh, sounding it out. But so there, the hospital was in Oak Mogi, and so that's where I was born. And they moved north when I was probably four, and the family thought they'd lost their minds going off north into kansas whatever hinterland that was and uh, and it's really only like 20 miles over from oklahoma the border i mean it's barely it's barely even in kansas it's just well, hanging on big city but you'll come back mark my words <laughs> that's right you're going up to the big city it was near joplin missouri on route 66 so perhaps they thought that was the wide way to destruction but uh but yeah they went up there and and uh I don't remember a lot of it, but I do know we moved up there. <laughs> what do you remember? Because I love, I'm from a small town. I'm from a little small town called Florella, Alabama. I mean, and it's probably. Oh, I've driven through there. Yeah. I, you, most people have on their way to somewhere else. <laughs> that's what Florella is. We had a the little radio station I worked out there. We we called ourselves, you know, uh, AM 1230, the gateway to the Gulf Coast, which is nice. Our, that's on, yeah. Yeah, it sounds nicer than, hey, wave as you drive by. <laughs> That's a gateway. I'll tell you the story. They have a, they have a, a, I've said this story before. They have a big fireworks stop, shop. It used to be a gas station, but now it's mm-hmm. a big year round fireworks shop called Betty's Fireworks for the best bang in town. Oh, I love it. Oh my gosh. How has that not been immortalized? It, it does. Luke Bryan stops there. All the time. Does he really? How about that? Yeah, my uh, I, just people who still live here. I remember when Luke first stopped. People were sending me pictures. Jerry, look who's in Florella. And so when yeah. I Luke, I'm like, dude, you really stopped at Betty's fireworks? And he goes, Yeah, we were on our way to Destin, and I had the kids, and I wanted fireworks. <laughs> you know, it's hard to park a bus on the side of the road, which is where. <laughs> The fireworks yeah. stands are down there. You remember oh from my Oklahoma. Oklahoma, it's yeah. fireworks stands. And he yeah, goes, that's right. He goes, but they had a place where we could park the bus. And I said, oh my God. I said, how much did you spend there? And he looks at me, you know, in that Luke Bryan way and said, uh-huh. a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Stocking up, was he? Yeah. yeah, a lot. We we <laughs> filled the bus up, partner. <laughs> wow. Oh, wow. so that's just here. We failed the most of Yeah, yeah. It's oh is that you and know? They all think you sent him there. They're all like sending you. Thanks for sending. That's the beautiful thing about it is because <laughs> they, maybe it's like it's like my uh, son said one time. He uh, it, this was when he was younger, and he goes, "Hey, Dad." He goes, uh, "Blake Shelton works for you, right?" Sort of, <laughs> <And I said laughs> in a way. And I was talking to Blake, I was in an interview with him, and I told him this story. And I was getting ready to get off the air, and he goes, uh, you know, and, and I said, well, thanks for thanks for calling in. And he goes, well, I do work for you, you know. That's right. And I he said, would get it. He would get your it. performance review is coming up soon, too. <laughs> <laughs> we have some questions we want to ask you about. We need some issues we need to discuss before That's we right. move to the next some level. questionable purchases on your expense report. And... Uh, 
<laughs> we couldn't afford you if we had to. That- he put that Pizza Hut and Tishomingo on the map down there in Oklahoma, you know, because he's I'm going to Pizza Hut and Tishomingo. And you'd be like, oh, my gosh, that's the first time that has been a thought. You know what I mean? He put it yeah. when he's there. Isn't it kind of funny how, how states get hot as far as producing country music artists? Right, that I mean, is true, Georgia's kind of hot right now. There was a time yeah. where Florida was hot, where you had Florida Georgia Line, you had Jake Owen, Jake uh, Owen. Mm-hmm. and all those guys from Florida. Alabama has had hit or hit or miss mittens, you know. I mean, there's a lot of mm-hmm. people, you know. You had Alabama, and you had, uh, gosh, I'm kind of blank. Uh, Emmy Lou Harris, and you know, right. And, and there were a number of people yeah, who. That's a good point. Alabama. And then Oklahoma, you had Blake. That's right. Miranda's not Blake. from Oklahoma, y'all. Um, but you had Blake and you had Toby Keith. Toby, yeah, for sure. And, well, Vince Gill's from there. Yeah. And way back, you've got Reba. And uh, before that, Roger Miller. And I mean, so we got a few. You know, I I always felt like Oklahoma was legitimate country and yeah. Western music. You could pretty much stop right at Roger Miller. I thought he was just the damn smartest man in the world. It's... Uh, he probably is. He's definitely in my Hall of Fame. He's one of my favorites of all time. So, Did you ever get yeah, a chance I, to meet him? I shook his hand, but I wasn't a songwriter yet. He was. He played a stint at Roy Clark's Theater in Branson, and somebody mentioned it in passing. I was working in Pittsburgh, Kansas at a job, normal job. I wasn't a songwriter. And they mentioned that, hey, you know, there's that guy that sings the King of the Road song. He's, a, I think they even called the Trailers for Sailor Rent song. Um, and he's at Branson this week for two two or three nights and i just literally took the days off and drove to branson and and saw him saw both shows that day the matinee and the other one and then afterwards i got i got a picture with him and shook his hand but i, I was just a huge fan huge fan i, I love and he had done big river by them yeah the musical. Oh, musical and so yeah so he did some songs off that but i remember he <laughs> he he broke a string and he would do a thing when he broke a string he would Set the, take the guitar strap and do like this and set it on the ground, the guitar, and then step out of the strap, then pick up the guitar and hand it to his tech. And then when they would come back with the guitar string on it, he would put it on the ground again and bring the strap up over the back. I mean, he was just, nothing escaped his skewer. You know, he just was going to find it. I, 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 I talked to someone who, who knew him. And knew him on a, you know, I can't say friendliest basis, but but knew mm-hmm. him and said he was a troubled soul. And, yeah, and his guy and his thing was, he goes, I think if you're too smart, you overthink everything. And mm-hmm. Roger couldn't stop overthinking everything. And, and you know, the old saying of comparison is the theft of joy. I think I think he had a lot of. I think he had a lot of that in him, right? I think there's see part that. of Roger that wondered, well, hell, I'm a lot better writer than them. And I'm a, I can write a musical. Nobody, you know, there, there's, yeah. there's nobody in Nashville can write a musical. And, and mm-hmm. I'm not a bad singer and I'm a hell of an actor. Why, yeah. why am I not, you know, that's. Why am I not thinking? Yeah. I could sure see it. And, and you know, that's so true, right? I mean, comparison is, uh, it's, it's. I understand. I'm I'm drawn to it too, like everybody. But it is it is toxic. It is it, it'll shut you down. Well, trying to, you know, because I'm I've got a ten and a twelve year old, right? Mm-hmm. And you're constantly trying to go, man. You can 
You can honestly, as stupid as it sounds, choose to be happy or choose to be sad. And if you want to be sad, sit back and wonder what all you don't have, right? Choose to be happy, sit back and look at all you do have. That's right. Because because there are some people out there who would, you know, 90% of the world would love to be you. That's exactly right. That's so true. Yeah, I think the social thing, you know, somebody said the other day, Instagram sells envy. That's their product. And I thought, you know, there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, there there are people who, and it and it can different seasons of your life it can affect you more. But I could sure see where you know Roger. I mean, again, I think he's genius, but yeah, but but certainly in that era, he kind of and country music has it seems sometimes done a bad job loving our kings and queens and the people who have given us so much. You know, I've you know. I do sometimes worry that we haven't, you know, shown them enough love. You know, it kind of took a rock producer to bring Johnny Cash back in, you know, and pay attention to him. And, and even Jack White with uh, Loretta Lynn. And so, you know, I mean, it's, uh, we've got some great, great artists, you know, and there's a guy who maybe had he lived longer, might've had a moment again where he was really appreciated and could feel some of that. You know, I, I would love to think that. I think, I think the best thing about country music is also a hard thing about country music. You know, you look at the, uh, I've said this before, you look at the top touring acts when it comes to, to rock and roll and mm-hmm. the majority are 70 to 80 year old men mm. because they don't change. That's so, right. That's right. We want the Rolling Stones, uh, Journey, Journey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 60 to 80 year old men. Right. Yeah. Because that's nothing right. changes. Well, the best thing about country music is we are constantly changing. Moving you know, forward, yeah. Constantly have that new act. Well, the bad thing, and you've seen this on the award show, we find once you've won enough awards, well, you shouldn't be winning anymore. <laughs> No matter, no matter what you do, yeah, no matter what you do, once you've won enough, thanks, George. Thanks, yeah. Rita. Thanks, God. That's right. Thanks, Conway. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's right. On that. And so it's it's wonderful. It keeps the uh it keeps the format fresh. But mm-hmm. your point, we do let people slip through the cracks. Patty yeah. Loveless slept through the has slipped through the cracks. Patty Loveless, yeah. Yeah, there's. I've always tell everybody there's no such thing as a bad Patty Loveless album. There is not. I agree with you 100%. I mean, and we all want it. We all would like to see her again. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, we're like, you know, there's some people come back and you're like, oh, okay. But she's one that I think is still spoken of in hushed tones by everybody who says her name, smiles, or just like, she made an impact. And I don't know that she's even been able to feel that. The, the the amount of impact she made. I don't think she has either. I, I 100% agree with you on that. I used to kid with mm-hmm. her back in her heyday. Uh, she was my girlfriend, but only one of us knew about it. Right? <laughs> I love it. Yes. And, yes. And, you know, and I would kid her about it and stuff like that. And, and, and it's like, I don't, it's, you're not my girlfriend because physically you're a beautiful woman. You're my girlfriend because mm-hmm. I listen to you and me and you are together. Right. Yeah. We, and, we know each other. Yeah. Right. And that's what you're looking at. But you can go through a whole list of people. You know, they brought Tanya Tucker back a little bit, but Glenn yeah. Campbell disappeared in the ranks. You yeah. know, we for, 
we forgot Glenn Campbell and, and, and you can just go, I can think of people off the, thank God we brought Charlie pride back right before he died. Absolutely. I was just thinking that I hadn't said it, but I was thinking the same thing. I'm so glad we did do that or someone did that. Um, because I mean, again, that guy talking about knocking down doors, paying some dues. I mean, he was amazing, and I've I've told this story. He uh, and and one of the highlights of my life, Jimmy Allen, who's a friend, and I told him before. I said yeah. I love Charlie Pryor. That would be. He goes, I know Charlie. I said, if you can ever get Charlie to come on the air with me, dude, that's all I'd ever ask. And uh-huh. so I'm on the air one morning, and hotline rings. Well, actually, Nate, who you know, Nate's yes. text says, "Answer the damn phone." <laughs> You know, you're doing radio, you're doing a million things. You're working, right? Yeah. Answer the damn phone. And I'm like, okay. And I punch up the phone and it's Jimmy. And he goes, we need to go on the air right now. I'm like, what? He goes, whatever you're doing, shut it off and need to go on the air right now. And I'm like, okay. And so I pot it up and I'm like, hey, Jimmy, Jimmy Allen's here. He goes, Gary, say hello to Mr. Charlie Pride. And I went. Charlie Pride, and he goes how? And he's you know the and the, the the totally recognizable iconic voice of Charlie Pride comes on the line. Yeah, you know. And he goes, he goes, what's your name again? I said Gary Scott Thomas. He goes Gary Scott Thomas, and I said Mr. Pride, you have to understand some right now. My parents are in heaven rejoicing because Charlie Pride said their son's name. <laughs> yes. That's right. You know, and it was because, and I never get nervous talking to anybody unless my parents thought they were stars. And the beautiful thing about Charlie, I've said this right before, I grew up in South Alabama. I grew up in the heart of racism. I racist in my family. My father was a racist, but not a brave racist. He was only a racist around when nobody was around. Right. Yeah. But he loved Charlie Pride. He had yeah. Charlie Pride and he would constantly be singing Kids and Angel Good Morning and, and all of this stuff. And I, I sit back and I didn't tell Charlie that because at that time he was old and not hearing everything. And, and not, mm-hmm. I didn't realize he had probably less than a month to live. Uh, but, but I, I've, I've said this before I wrote this thing and said what Charlie Pride did was break down racism in the places he didn't know he broke it down. That a racist white man in South Mm -hmm. Alabama could so love his music that he would face the wrath of his other racist family members and sing Kiss an Angel Good Morning Mm -hmm. and take whatever slings and arrows were coming that way. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. wouldn't we all love to have that impact? Where you have an impact, you don't even know you're having the impact. Yeah, it's a threat. It's It's some path that wasn't there that now is, you know, that like you're saying it, ah, that's beautiful. That's a beautiful, what an incredible compliment to him. I mean, and he did that for a lot of people. He did it for a lot of the whole, the whole genre really. And you know what I love? I love that he died an insanely rich and successful man. (laughs) He's a part owner of the Texas Rangers. That's crazy. He was married to his high school sweetheart. And was just fabulously successful and fabulously wealthy. Wow. And so many of those asshats who wouldn't play a show with him died yeah. broken in the bottle. 
And yeah, that I'm vindictive, but <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it comes around, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. but it, but again, you feed the which is the what's the old saying about you feed the good dog or the bad dog? Mm-hmm. You feed that bad dog, that's the one that's gonna get you. You know, and uh, he he always seemed to be feeding the good dog. When we first moved to town, um, there was a little place called Vittles in Brentwood. And we went in and we were sitting there. We'd only been living here a month or so. And I looked over and I said, Jen, I I swear to you, that's Eddie Arnold. And um, she said, because she's a little younger than me, who's Eddie Arnold? So then we, we had a marital moment there where we explained Eddie Arnold. But, uh, but I, uh, I did, I did bother him. I, I did go over as he was leaving and just say, you know, you don't know me, but uh, thank you. And I grew up my, you know, my grandfather, I didn't say it to him, but my grandfather had the eight tracks. He had the, you know, he loved Eddie Arnold's music. And so I got to say thank you to Eddie Arnold. I don't know who Eddie Arnold was. He was probably maybe arguably the biggest country singer in the 1950s and early 1970s. Yeah. Uh, easily he, smooth kind of crooner. Well, it was back in the orchestral time. It was the it was the yeah. Ray Ray Price. It was the yeah. uh, oh, what's the name of the guy? Jim Reeves, right? Jim Reeves, you know Jim Reeves. Yes, it was that sound with with violins. Yeah, and, 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 it, and he was also did the cattle call. But <laughs> 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 he, you know, he was insanely wealthy. Because he invested in everything. Yeah, they said he owned a lot of what became Brentwood, Tennessee. Yeah, and so. just insanely wealthy. You know, <laughs> I, I, hope, so. I hope he enjoyed the recognition, right? Because at so. that time, like you said, your wife had no idea who he was, and I'd be willing to bet that the majority of the majority of people in Nashville probably didn't know who he was. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's probably true. I mean, that's right. And, but yeah, he was very nice, you know, but he and his wife, he, he would, I guess, take his wife to this place every, quite often. And, uh, I saw him in there a few more times. Um, but I never bothered him again. I, but I always was just like, you know, and I'm that way about older songwriters too, just to be honest. I'm a pretty big fan. So like I was fortunate to meet Nora Wilson, the most beautiful girl in the world. Yeah. Uh, so I, I met him. He produced my first cut. He and Buddy Cannon produced that record. And so I got to meet him and he would have breakfast at this little place called Bandyland. And so me and other new writers would go eat there just to see if he'd talk to us. Sometimes. And sometimes he'd sit down and tell us stories or encourage us or what are you doing today? How's it going there? And uh, he was very, very kind, you know, and so was Buddy. And Buddy Cannon's still rocking, but, but uh, Buddy had been that way. And I got to write with Whispering Bill, which was big and, Met Mac Davis several times and was a huge Mac Davis fan. Oh so, man, uh, yeah. those are great names because you brought up Nor Wilson. And, you know, maybe think Charlie Rich and Charlie Rich, in the world, and that's another one that's fallen through the cracks. Nobody ever plays that yeah. song. We do a throwback Thursday, and every now and then I'll whip it out and stuff like that. <laughs> you want to talk yeah. about tortured soul? Charlie Rich was a tortured soul. Tortured soul, and he remember he lights the thing, the John Denver John, thing, John Denver thing. Yeah, so he kind of was angry dude, right? Yeah, it's, uh, that's what they say. Uh, you know, uh, with Tom T. Hall passing in the last year or so, um, when we first were moving here, I had to drive from here to Texas. And so I got the Tom T. Hall box set. And uh, and I might have almost driven my wife crazy with it, but I loved every minute of it. 
But I had, you know, I had this picture of Tom P. Hall. You remember the big songs, but when you heard the box that you realized, like, there was inside him a real, like, social justice, kind of an anger that he was writing. A lot of Vietnam songs, a lot of, you know, he's, he's coming. It's like comedians, you know, they say comedians are sometimes anger made appropriate. And he was that way. He would turn it into art, but there was a, there was a, a knife in it too. And uh, I, I hadn't remembered that, you know, in learning the songs when I was young. But as I listened to it now, I was like, oh, golly, I didn't realize he was, he was really saying things and trying to, and some of it, you know, some of it was not subtle. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a writer thing. Hey, he so. was, he was, uh, you know, bless his heart. And I always, I always sit back and say, you know, there's, there's a couple of people who prove you don't have to sing to sing. Yeah, you know? right. and Tom right. couldn't sing. You know, no. he was. No. And Julie likes to. Julie likes to. Uh, my honor partner likes to uh, charitably say, "Well, he's a stylist." Oh, nice! It's a tone. Like, it's yeah, a tone. He's a <laughs> I like to think Willie Nelson is a stylist. <laughs> a stylist. I said, "You listen to Willie Nelson before 1990, and he could sing, but you lose a lung." And see how well. <laughs> yeah, see how you're doing. Because when you listen and sing an angel too close to the ground, it's a beautiful <laughs> song. If you hear him do it now, he can only speak a few words, letters, you know, words at a time. If you had only fallen, and I don't tell you, <laughs> and that's what he does, right? But it's it's the iconic. By God, there's Willie Nelson. Right? There he is. There he is. Bigger than anybody. I mean. But again, amazing that I, I have never met him, but I would, I would, that would be, I would need to have my wife just ready to pull me back, you know, cause I'd be pretty excited to, to meet him. He's, uh, but, but it is one of those things. I think we talked about this once. The, uh, Waylon Jennings quote I read uh, from the nine, early nineties, uh, where they were saying, well, he's over at Combine Music and you've got Roger Miller and Johnny Cash is over there and Waylon's over there. Shel Silverstein's coming into town. Chris Christopherson writes there. So that's, they're all in that house, um, at, at Combine Music. And so someone says to Waylon, well, did, did, um, there must have been a lot of competition between you guys. And Waylon said, uh, no, no, not really any competition, though we did like to impress each other a little bit. And I thought that's the best way to say that. You know, like, no, not competition. No, no, though. <laughs> <laughs> we do want to impress each other. Yeah. Well, if you're Willie Nelson, you know, no matter what anybody else does, you just pick up your microphone and go, crazy. Mic drop. <laughs> <That's right>. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm out of here. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah, you don't see that. And they always are kind of hiding those, the, the history of him doing those albums with the Chet Atkins. I mean, I mean, th that should have worked and it didn't. And that's also, I always think, I always like, don't gloss that part of the story. He's working and working and working and it isn't working. And he ends up back in Texas for reasons, you know? And I do think that's part of the beautiful part of that story too. Maybe he was it's just a little ahead of it. Maybe it wasn't a hundred percent. Well, I don't know what it was, but then he comes roaring back. Holy smokes. Well, it's so. to me following the Willie Nelson story, because I love country music history, as you can imagine, he left because it wasn't working. And he went back to Texas and got rid of the suits 
and stopped slicking his hair down and said, my God, I'll just play honky tonks and dress the way I want to dress. And the beautiful thing of it is, is by, by leaving Nashville, Nashville came to him. That's right. Came to him. And and Waylon, the same thing. I mean, you know, they had their, they had their sound that they, they wanted to create. And I think that's the beautiful thing about today's music with the internet, as horrible as the internet mm-hmm. can be, it, it creates an avenue for people to figure out what they do and how they Absolutely. sing. And, and it's, it's very cool where you, you've seen, you know, in the Eddie Arnold days, you came to town and they told you what to wear and what to sing yeah. and who to hang out with. And, and I think, I mean, you know, let's be honest, George Jones and Tammy Wynette were crazy as bed books. And I think <laughs> part of it was being so controlled. Everything had to be yeah. so controlled. Uh, mm-hmm. Where nowadays you do have that freedom. I mean, okay, talk about. I'm I'm I'm, I'm going to tie this into one of your songs that I'm so no glad way. Charlie Pride had a chance to know how appreciated he was. My favorite song. And I tell this to his face every time. The moment you leave this out of the show, I will not come to your show anymore. Is 1994. I tell Aldine that. No way. <laughs> the moment you stop doing 1994, I'm tagging out. And he's like, I love that song. And I'm like, I know. And I'm so glad. I hope Joe Diffie heard it for the cultural touchstone that it was. Yeah, um, we we wrote it, and uh, Luke and Tr- Thomas Rhett and I were, were writing, and we'd spent all day on something else, and it was mid, it was probably two or three o'clock, and we didn't want to cut loose, but we knew the song we were working on wasn't working, and and um, and so Luke just played a loop for Thomas Rhett, and he just started singing and mumbling, and somewhere in there, I said, "Did you say 1994?" And uh, Tr said, uh, "My dad was on the radio in '94," and um, Luke had a shirt and he had a Tracy Lawrence t-shirt under his flannel. And he goes, Tracy Lawrence, like that. And I said, yes, but also Mark Chestnut, Joe Diffie. I mean, a lot of things are happening in 94 that are really good things. So um, somewhere in there, I believe it was uh, TR that sort of was playing around and, and did the uh, joke, joke, joke like that. And I just thought it was so fun. And so we just wrote it really quickly. And we made a little horrible demo you know just a little little guitar a little yelling i played bass on it that tells you how weird it was and then i sent it to luke and thomas thomas sends it to his dad his dad is on a bus i don't know where they were with joe diffie and sammy kershaw and he plays it and the report we got back was that joe diffie loved it and of course, Sammy was a little irritated that he had not been referenced. <laughs> uh, I'm sure, and then and, and he should have been. Very fair. He should have been referenced. And um, so then, and that was a Friday. So on Monday, Luke and I were in the studio doing demos, you know, with the band and everything. And, and he said, "Hey, I got a call. I'm supposed to go play songs for Aldine and, and Michael Knox, his producer, yeah. um, at lunch." And so I said, "No problem. I'll take this." And I said, "What are you going to play?" He goes, "I don't know." And I got to tell you, I had had, I'd been gunning for Aldine since record one. I mean, I just always, I loved the way he sounded. And I thought, you know, Am, you know, Amarillo Sky was, you know, such a great, that's such a Rodney Clark, such a great song. And, um, so, um, anyway, 
but I hadn't any luck. You know, I had a lot of holds, no cuts. And, and, um, so he goes to lunch and he comes back and, and, and Luke's just giggling. He's so excited, the glare. And, um, he goes, so I walked in and Michael Knox said, you got anything that's got a beat or has some sort of a cool vibe that's different? And he goes, so I played him, uh, 1994. And I said, from Friday? And he was like, yeah, I just played that little work tape. And I said, oh, man, there's no way. He goes, listen, he made me play it from three or four times in a row. Just play that again. Play that again. And then he just said, I think we're going to cut that. And um, I said, they're going to cut that. And sure enough, they cut it. And then Michael Knox brings it over and plays it for us. And So it was a real gift, you know. But we kept thinking maybe Joe would come out on stage with him or do and he's kind of i guess in the video briefly and and there was a big set dressing that had joe diffie in his his truck and and i know that he did it live a few times himself and some of his shows did it just uh yeah he did it i I, I got some yeah a couple of times he played i got a clip from somebody saying diffie's doing it you know he kind of was like demure in a way but but some people said oh will you help me and they were all like joe 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 diffie it was uh, it was the funniest. You know, it's one of those deals where we wouldn't have drawn it up that way. We didn't think we were writing a song that Jason Aldean would record. We were just laughing and having fun, and that's just our remembrance of the darn thing. You know, it was like, but we had so much fun remembering the songs, and you know, all of us, the three of us, writing it. That's really what the gift was of the whole thing. And then, of course, then I was like, oh, I feel bad. We should have probably put a little more. But every now and then, we'll say. Oh, we bought to put a little more. Mark Chestnut should have been on the ride, or or somebody else should have been on the ride. And, but that's how it went down. I love it because when you say it, yes, it's what we call a list song, right? Yeah, I mean, the only list cool. song is Billy Joel's "We Didn't Start the Fire," and all it is is that's one cool. little list, 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 and then we didn't start the fire. And to this day, I have no idea what the hell it means. I was in pop radio yeah. out, and I remember going. <laughs> What is this? What is it? If you think about it, it is truly nothing. You know, and TR is throwing out that truck as a time machine and all that. He just like freestyled that. I mean, and we were just screaming. We just were, you know, sometimes people think we're having fun and we're not. That was the case where we were laughing and we were just having the best time. And when he like when he dropped that thing about the truck as a time machine, we're howling with laughter, you know, we're like do it, do it, do it. And it really was; it happened quick and and uh, uh, went a long way. You guys have to look at it. I I will I will pull it out every now and then, like on a Friday for sure, you know, just to get everybody in that weekend because the moment you hear it, you know, bang, you know, and it just goes and and I don't think I've ever heard Al Dean sound like he's having more fun. It just. He's having the best time. I saw him do it at Shoreline, and it was. He was just having the best time, and the crowd, you're exactly. Joe, Joe, and I just love, Patricia Yearwood told me this great story about Joe Diffie. She goes, you know the best thing? She goes, I recorded something with him one time, and he would literally sit outside the studio and chain smoke cigarettes and then walk in, put his headphones on, nail it. And she goes, I grew up in a family of smokers. They all would hack. Their voice would get wacky and stuff. Yeah. And she goes, Joe would just <laughs> go in and bang, you know, hit every note and His everything voice. crystal clear. And she goes, I no she goes, I was stunned. And when she was telling me the story, I said, okay, here's what we need to remember. That's Trisha Yearwood saying that. <laughs> what? 
most beautiful voices in the world in the yes. country music is going. Yeah. I was shocked by him. And she goes, Oh, yeah. So good. He was so good. And I'm yeah, like, She's on my bucket list, Trisha Yearwood. I mean, she is. She's just got she that. Man. She's just got she's that. Good. It just. Yeah. It is it yeah. is so amazing. And her her register was always good to me. And I loved her upper register, but I think her lower register never got the due. Her lower That's register right. was so melodious. It was so warm, right? Yeah. And, yeah. And I mean, like the new, and, and again, I'm not comparing or critiquing anybody, but uh, like the, the new, as we tape this, Carrie Underwood's ghost story is out, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there's a part where she actually finally goes down and hangs in her lower register. And it's good. Yeah. It's Carrie Underwood. It's Carrie Underwood. But it doesn't carry that warmth that Trisha Yearwood has. Yeah, I've wondered about that, too. It's interesting you say this, because I was talking with somebody the other day, and we were like, because we talk about Trisha Yearwood, and I know like Garth Fundus is great producer, did all the Don Williams stuff, and produced a lot of great Trisha Yearwood records as well. And we were like, was it that the sound systems of that time and the way we were listening, you know, I remember in the late 80s, cassettes, you know, and a lot of high end, a lot of emphasis on the sizzle. And I wonder now if she wouldn't almost speak better because now I've got my headphones on or whatever, and I can really be right up next to that warmth, you know, and the, the way PAs are now. I, I've just thought, I bet, I bet it would really hammer now because it's just, because then there was a lot of emphasis on that high frequency. You yeah. hear some of those mixes from the late eighties and they're just, they're just shrill, <laughs> you know. And I loved it. There's you know, compressors on and stuff like that. Yeah, it's it's. Yeah. When you sit back and think about Trisha Yearwood, like I said, it's uh, everybody knows the hits and that stuff, and that's great. But the ones that the songs that slip through, you forget. I, Grant the song remember remembers when, which seems that's like what. And what. But you know, she's it again. Her ability to warm that lower register. You know, yeah, and and the same thing like uh, Walk Away Joe. You know, her ability. She let Henley handle the high part. Yes, she yes. She stayed in that warm register, which I think, I think that's what, I think that's what separated her to me. Yeah, and there was a song that uh, Tom Douglas wrote with Harlan Howard. I think it was called Melancholy Blue. It was not a single, uh-huh. but it's on one of the albums there. You know, and and the. You know, as things were changing over, but man, that song is another case where she's just—it's so warm. If you ever hear it, it holds you, you know. But if you, but it didn't maybe get the the due that it deserved. But she's she's something. And I and I, from all reports I've heard and everything I've heard from her, it hadn't changed at all. No. It's still just she's lethal. Amazing. She is, yeah. she is stunning, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had uh, yeah, uh, in December we had we had Garth play our dive bar. No way, in December, and we Ooh. we hundred and fifty tickets. You had to listen to win, and uh, it was amazing. It was the most amazing thing you've ever seen. But I secretly was hoping, come on, Trisha, come on. <laughs> but he's like, yeah. No. It's just a hitch. He he literally flew in, did the show, flew out, you know. And he goes, he goes, Mama, don't travel like that. <laughs> I travel like but that. Man, Mama, don't travel like that. <laughs> I bet that was incredible, though, in that room, because he's he is just so powerful. I bet he was something in a room that size. He was supposed to do an hour, 
He did over 90 minutes because he was having such a fun time. And his people told us, they said, because, you know, he goes, listen, I've got new songs, but you're not here to listen to the new songs. Let's just all sit back and sing along for the next hour. And he ended up singing along for the next hour and a half. And I have, you know, I've been doing, I did, I've done radio for, for, I don't like to say the years. I've done it down to the hours. I've done it for (laughs) over 36,000 hours. Right wow. on the radio. That's right. I have I've seen a, a zillion shows. My first concert. I'll have to ask you this too. My first concert. You know what? I'm gonna take a quick break and I'm gonna tell you what my first concert is. We'll be right okay. with Barry Dean. It's time to think differently when it comes to your parties, meetings, and groups. The catering from Havana Cuba Restaurant in downtown San Jose. Instead of the same old, same old, how about the most delicious Cuban sandwich you've ever had? You're tired of fries? Plantains, my friends, they'll change your world. And here's something you didn't know. Havana Cuba was voted one of the top 10 tamales in the entire South Bay. They have vegan, vegetarian, and gluten-free options, and their website is 998cuba.com. They're located at 387 South 1st Street, in downtown San Jose. It's Havana, Cuba. That's called a tease. So my first concert (laughs) was when I was nine years old and I went to Red Level, Alabama in a field and there was a flatbed truck and on the flatbed truck was Porter Wagner and Dolly Parton. Wow. Oh my gosh. In late August, it had to be a million degrees and Porter had on his nudie suit, and Dolly had on the regalia. And what I remember was thinking it's so hot, and I could not see them sweat. They were just, they were doing the show, by gosh. They were running that show, running the show. And, and, that's, and, and, so, I, and so I've seen a lot of concerts, is my point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There will nothing ever touch Garth Brooks at our little club rodeo dive bar. Nothing. Wow. No. Wow. That is strong. Yeah. That's, 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 you know, that was very cool. That was a a wonderful legacy because, you know, we're now streaming. We just do care2y.com. So we're off the Mm -hmm. FM signal, but it was a wonderful way to go off because nobody will ever touch it. No, you can't. uh, No, no, there's nothing. I mean, to imagine how powerful he is. I mean, the, the, the records that have been broken and the songs people know and, it's just unreal how many people he's touched, you know, just traveling about. I mean, these shows are, what do you do, two, three nights here in the stadium? Yeah. You know, and they could have sold it out again. I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just a question of how many days he wants to hang out, really. <laughs> he can sell it out every night. Do you see where he's going to stop doing stadium shows? He's going to stop. No, doing, it's, he's going to stop doing touring. And the whole thing is, is he goes, I realized over the time how much I enjoy being home and touring is easy on me. It is brutal on my crew. Mm. So he goes, I will do one-off shows, but we're not going to tour. Now, knowing Mm. art, I bet you he's still paying them. Yeah, I would bet so too. I mean, he... He seems like a great guy. I've I've shook his hand a couple of times. He's been very nice. And um, I tried to send him a... uh, a water balloon slingshot once. Uh, so our Creative Nations publishing office, you know, we're on those houses, right? Yeah, on Music yeah. Row. Uh-huh. So Creative Nation has these two houses. And we just had the one at the time. And 
Next door was a publishing company-ish thing, and it looked like they were going to sell. So Luke Laird and Beth were talking to the owners and, you know, trying to negotiate, hey, we can, might could buy that little house. But on the other side of that house is the studio where Garth has cut every record he's ever made. And so he, he bought that studio and was refurbishing and, you know, doing things to that, that building. And I mean, it's a real, I mean, that's a major record that's been cut there. And, um, so this house sits between them. And, um, so one day I came in and there were a lot of people next door, like crews, people going to do some construction and things. And I said, did you guys buy the house next door? No, I think Garth came in and offered him a million dollars for the house. And I said to my friend Leclerc, because I'm I'm this guy, I said, You ought to you ought to try to outbid him. <laughs> and but he was he was wise and didn't do that. But uh but so so they're right next door and I tell that to say, so I was riding with Holly Williams one day. Yeah. She was gonna come to the office, Hank's daughter, Hank Jr. And uh she is incredibly talented and does just almost everything well. And um but all of a sudden, there's a knock at the front door of our office, and there stands Garth Brooks with Holly Williams. And he said, Holly had walked into that house, and he was standing there, and he knew her. He had remembered her. Oh, Holly, how are you? Oh, I'm here to write with, next door with uh, with the Barry Dini. So I think they're next door. He walked her over to our office. So I did write him a card, and I got him one of those things where people hold the thing, and you can shoot a water balloon like 300 feet. Yeah, yeah. And I, so I sent a note over with this thing and said, Hey, I figure you're the guy who has everything, but do you have one of these? And did you know that if you stood on your porch and shot it across the street, you could hit the window of Carla Wallace, a big yellow dog? I was hoping to start a little, uh, you know, community building, a little community building activity, but I, I never heard from him. So, uh, so I, I, I think he'd done like water balloons or something, but, uh, no, he probably never saw it. But yes, uh, people, yeah. yeah, somebody saw this and said, "This is so damn cool." And Garth <laughs> doesn't need one of these. He could go buy one his own self. <laughs> That's right. There's a fourth grader in Franklin who's having a great time with it, just doing all kinds of stuff. You know, <laughs> that's the thing. Somebody said once upon a time, you know, he can't be that nice. It's an act. And my response, as long as Julie's has always been, that it's a damn great act, and we should all copy. That's right. You know, that's right. He's, you know, it, it is one of those things where people seem to want to turn a notch out of people that do good things. And he's done a lot of good things, you know, and um, I, again, I've only met him then. And one other time in a studio I was walking through, he was as kind as he could be. He was thoughtful to everyone in the room. And uh, so, you know, I don't know. I've not I've not heard the, anything bad about him. I, I, I only good times and uh, i remember we were doing what he was he would he was doing his comeback album and we were in texas stadium where the cowboys play where this garth event and uh you sat down and interviewed him and i sat back and i said let me tell you the best thing you ever did he's like an man i said you have taught one going on two and entering your third generation of country singers how to do this game how to yeah. do it how to live it, how to survive it. Okay. I said, that's the most amazing thing you've done, where you've turned it into these people know, let's super serve the fans. Let's work in partnership with radio. Let's, let's, and, and let's be damn nice about it while we're at it. And now Garth, Garth will call you on the carpet if he thinks you've done wrong. That's the best mm -hmm. thing about Garth. And if you've insulted him, 
you know, they, they, I remember the old story that this station had done years ago, uh, Garth Free Radio. And they came up and wanted him to do a liner, you know, at, at, at uh, CRS or something. And he looked at him and said, no, absolutely not. You, no. And, uh, and, and so he remembers all that. He's paying attention to it. But you look at how these kids act now. I mean, the truth of it is Merle Haggard, Waylon for the most part, a lot of Willie Nelson, those were three, four, five, six marriages, drug abuse, alcoholism, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and, and that was the way that, you know, the, all of those men died kind of broken with the exception of Willie and, you know, he's hanging on, mm-hmm. but they all kind of died broken. I remember meeting Johnny Cash, the drugs had fried his brain really. And yeah. it was eat and mm-hmm. great. You sit back and you talk to June, June would do all the talking and Johnny mm-hmm. just stood there. You know, and, and so there was a price they paid for living that life and the touring was all that stuff, but nobody had taught them. Here's the, here's the way to navigate it. And I said, Mm -hmm. you've taught these kids how to navigate. They don't do groupies anymore. They bring their kids with them. They literally bring their families with them. They they bring their trainers and their nutritionists and they, you know, I I can't tell you how many times somebody said, Hey, so-and-so is looking for something to do. What do you recommend before their show tonight? Mm -hmm. Right. And, and, yeah. so, and, and, and that was the Garth thing of let's bring the family, let's do something with the crew. Let's not bring in outside influences. And, and I said, that literally is the most important thing you've ever done. That's you know? so true. That's and, so, and, I think you're right. And, and it's so cool. And I'll tell you the story about the, the night about the, they did the, uh, we had the, the uh, dive bar show. Right. Mm-hmm. So we're all backstage and the crowd's out there going crazy. And Garth walks in, we're in the back. I don't know if you've ever been to Club Rodeo, but we're, there's a entrance from the back in the street. Garth walks in from the street and we're all standing there. And he goes, hey, everybody. And he walks up to us and he goes, are y'all happy with how this went? Are y'all okay with how this went? Wow. It was never of, hey, I'm here. What's going on? It was like, are y'all, ha-? that was literally the first words out of his mouth. Are y'all happy with wow. how this went? Are, are, are you good with it? And you know, we're just like, yeah. yes please. And, and it was just amazing. Wow. And I'm like that, that kind of response makes you run through walls for people. You know, Garth will <laughs> always awesome. have a space in country music and country radio and country in general because of the way he's treated people. Wow. That's so cool. I mean, yeah, not that he's gone down, but they say you go down the way you go up and he's really showing he may not ever come down because of how he went up, you know? beautiful and he may never get another hit and he'll still sell out stadium shows two or three at a time oh he's beloved he's beloved. but he made he grew the whole tent he made it you know they always say the rising tide lifts up but well, he is the ocean i mean that that era he sort of was that thing that sort of and there were other people as i recall kicking you know i remember the first time i heard the judds and randy travis and you know that was a real like a friend of mine played me, Michael played, played me, uh, Randy Travis. And, uh, and I was really listening to, at that point, pop music, rock music. You know, that's where I was doing it. And then he played that first. Well, I don't know if it was his first Randy Travis. It's the Randy Travis record with uh, I Walked, uh, He Walked on Water on it. Yeah. And uh, he played that song. And I was like, all of a sudden that called back to what I loved, you know, uh, about country music. And, um, but, but I was thinking, you know, obviously because of the situation, but, 
that that first Judd's record, those first few Judd's albums, just sounded so different, right? They were just a different thing, you know, and I remember hearing those the first time. Yeah, Randy Travis, again, was one of those saving country music situations. I, yeah. I, tell him that. I said, you know, and I, I, I told him that years ago. I said, you don't get the credit, do, because you, you saved it. And uh, yeah. the Judds, you know, loved them then. Of course, we didn't find out till later how truly chaotic that life was. Yeah, uh, that's right. And, and you do. We talked earlier about slipping through the cracks. People forget there was a time where Garth, Alan Jackson, Clint Black were all at the same level. They were the three-headed monster, right? Mm-hmm. Clint Black's yeah. still in time. You forget so big. how big that album was. You forget yeah. Clint Black was everywhere, you know, and yeah. he was on par with Garth. Alan Jackson, yeah. he was right there, hit after hit after hit after hit. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and then Garth and his ability to do the live show and take yeah. it to a place where country music, and he'll be the first to tell you, he was doing a rock show for country. Yeah. And, and to be able to get it to that level separated him. And then, as we always kid, the thing with Clint Black is, damn it, he got happy. Yeah. All of a sudden he was happy. And then, you know, once he got happy, he didn't know how to fill that lane. And he just really. Yeah, <laughs> That's right. He wasn't leaving anything. He was, yeah, he was happy. And he could still sing and play, but he was just too dang happy. <laughs> well, he's on that, uh, he's on that uh, what's he called? The hit, the Hits and Mrs. Tour? Yeah. <laughs> it's the Hits and Mrs. Tour. And, yeah. and, they're, and they're happy. And I don't think he would change a thing. And no. Alan, bless his heart for his health challenges. But my God, again, talk about falling through the cracks. And as a songwriter, I mean... Mm. Alan Jackson's ability so, to craft a song and to picture. Remember yeah. when Daddy Drive, you know, Drive for Daddy yeah. Jean. I mean, talk about a canvas and just. He, even his guy, he did an album of hymns that I, I love too, where he's just singing. But there's this way he does things. And going back to the older writers and, and the, and the writers that are still the Buddy Cannon and Nora Wilson and those kinds of, Bob McDill is a classic example of that. And, uh, um, just so many of these great writers. Alan, Alan Jackson's one of those where he doesn't look like he's breaking a sweat with the, his writing. It's, you know, he'll just, it's just moving and he just sings it. There's a melody, there are words and it acts as if it's always existed. And a lot of times I'll play in those rounds. I played a round once with Buddy Cannon, Whispering Bill Anderson, and Bobby Bear Sr. I can only assume someone just chickened out. And then they were like, well, who's the sucker? <laughs> Barry Dean's the sucker. Because I certainly did not have the firepower to sit in that round at the Bluebird. But, uh, but I showed up because I wanted a seat. I wanted to see it. And uh, I wanted to meet Bobby Bear Sr. too. And uh, plus, I'd do anything Buddy Cannon said. I'd run through a wall. So um, I showed up and just, you know, it just let's not even kid around. I mean, I, I, I had a water pistol, as they say. And, uh, but it was, it, when you're watching them do these songs, you know, and uh, Buddy Cannon's doing Set Em Up Joe, you know, and, uh, and, you know, um, uh, Whiskey Lullaby, you know, uh, Bill's doing it. And so Memphis from, uh, Bobby Bear. 
and um and I'm over here using every chord I got and and filling every space with syllables of words. I mean, just I'm saying all the words I can. I'm painting. I'm throwing adjectives around like I'm a drunk monk. You know, it was bad. You know, monkey with a machine gun. Uh, <laughs> but I'm using syllables, and uh, and they're just over there. Not I just you know, buddy's like and you're just like, how do I get that good? How do I learn to write? And Alan Jackson is a guy who writes songs that just feel like they've always been there in a great way. Just like, yeah, you know, I he just that's such a wonderful way of describing it. I feel like a yeah. song always been there. It's always been there. It's it, sometimes I'll say they sound when you listen to them, you're not thinking about how they were, they weren't built. They were created. You know, you're not going, Oh, I know what you're going to do here. I see it. Or that's a piece of business. It just like, remember when it's just like, Oh yeah, I always wanted to say that. I just didn't know how, you know, that kind of a thing. And just in the music, cause I'm just, you know, how did you think about doing the little ukulele mandolin? You know, and it just sets from that first moment. It sets the haze of memory, right? Yeah. And elders set them up, Joe. First of all, Vern Gosden, another voice that's fallen through the cracks. Vern, oh my gosh, I'm glad you said that. Yeah. I mean, Vern Gosden is one thing chiseled in stone. Chiseled in stone is possibly Alone. in the top top 20 of, of country songs all time. Top 20. Mm. And if you put it in the top 10, I would not be offended. I would not be yeah. offended. But there's I see Set Him Up Joe, you know, it, it just is a guy in a bar. They got a vintage Victrola 1961 full of my favorite records that I grew up on, you know? Yeah. And, and I love the fact the last thing when it set him up, Joe, and play walk in the floor, set him up, Joe, and play walk in the floor. Tim, Tim, Tim. I said, set him up, Joe. Because <laughs> <laughs> that. Because yeah, I just knew you needed it. Yeah. I would never have thought of it that it, it comes back in on those eighth notes. I said, yeah. you know, and it's like, it's wow. So good. So that is, yeah. And boy, that's the thing. I, I, I read once that uh, Johnny Cash had given Roseanne Cash a list of a hundred of the most he thought were the best country songs for the best songs. And that she, you know, she's written about a few of them. And, uh, but you should make us a playlist as well. Cause I would love to, to just study that, that there's a lot of them. You know, you think we are blessed in country music because maybe it's, uh, because we're telling stories of everybody, but we have a rich amount of songs that, and I know like, I know like artists now are supposed to write their own songs, but there is a part of me sometimes that goes, yeah, but that person sings so well, you know, Bonnie Raitt only generally writes four songs on her record. And then she collects what she thinks are her favorite songs. I, I just know when I go out and hear these, even like I go hear these young writers, and they blow my mind. I mean, because they're bringing so many influences in and they'll, you'll hear one and think, I have been trying to write that song my whole life and I didn't even know it, you know, well, even fun songs, fun songs, especially like, uh, what's that one that Chris Jansen, when he did that, buy me a boat thing. Oh yeah. Buy me. All like, How did we miss that? You know, or, uh, well, here's, a, here's the thing. You can't talk. You cannot talk, Barry, because who yeah. in the world would have said, hey, how about a pontoon? Y'all, what do you think? <laughs> how about a pontoon? 
And about to do everybody write a song about yeah. a tune and let's have the biggest song of the year, possibly in the last five years, that redefined who Little Big Town was. That's funny. Yeah, well, Natalie Hamby walked in and said it, but but Luke and I had to talk her into writing it, but uh, but she said it and we were like and I and again we kind of thought, Well, surely that's been done. And then we Googled it and it hadn't. And so then I was like you know, can we run, you know, but I, we had no idea. And I, you know, I have to say, uh, little big town and Jay Joyce, the producer and Jed Hughes played that riff. <laughs> he put that in there and, uh, that made it really cool. They made it all sexified and everything. When I sing it, it sounds like, you know, oh, that does sound like an older boat, but when they sing it, it's like, Oh, sexy on the water. Got it. And, uh, let me tell you, tell you I, I've, I've said this and I've said it on the air, the most underrated song and the song that should have been a bigger hit, and I love it to pieces, Brothers Osborne and Rum. I'm telling you what, <laughs> that song is so good. And if you're and if, if you're out in the summer, if you're hanging out on the pontoon or if you're just wherever you're at, put rum on your playlist. I'm telling you, wow. and nobody you. hears rum and goes, well, that sucks. I mean, it's just... It's just perfect on so many levels. That's so nice. Thank you. I, you know, I love those guys. I've known them since before they, even before they were doing their duo. And, and so we were writing and, and, you know, that whole song really is just one chord. They're, they're musically doing all kinds of things over because John alone is just such a great guitar player. But it really, I mean, if, if you were a beginning guitar student, you could just play a D chord all the way through. And you'd be fine, the whole song. And it's, so it's, it's in a way, it's the simplest tune. But I was trying to get at, my wife had told me, you ought to do a song that has like a oh or a mmm. And then you get in the room with TJ and he's got that massive voice. And so, um, and I, and there had been at that time, there were a lot of, uh, beer songs were happening a lot. Yeah. And there were quite a bit of whiskey was happening right there. And I just thought, uh, I said, you guys feel like, I was just trying to be funny. You guys feel like writing a song about rum and, uh, and to rum. And I heard the, mm, and I went, what if you did rum? Mm, and then he, they, off they went, you know, so I just hanging on. Uh, but it was so much fun to write that song. And then I was so worried for him because that was that first single. And I thought, I hope they get another single. And, uh, so we got, we got in top 20, but not as high as we need to get. And, um, but that next single helped them jump ahead. But they're great. And thank you for liking that song. That's funny. And that's one I hardly ever try because I always feel like, you know, he can play, they're both of them can play all these cool things. But I always feel like I'm just strumming that chord. <laughs> <laughs> I always remember because we had him at the Gilroy Garlic Festival. It's amazing. Garlic. Had to the Gilroy okay. Festival. We've had, we had Rascal Flats at the Gilroy Garlic Festival. Wow. And Charlie oh. Pierce. We had Michael Ray not together. Yeah, probably and best. Aren't. Uh, <laughs> you know, at the Gilroy Garlic Festival, what I remember about Gilroy, because it was so hot, and they're doing this song, and they're up there singing, and about, they just finished the song, and, and the, 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 the guitars and drums hadn't stopped ringing yet from the end of the song. Mm -hmm. And uh, TJ goes, So can anybody get me a damn beer? <laughs> <laughs> and all of a no sudden. Filter. Oh, you shouldn't have said that because all of a sudden you just had dozens of people <laughs> in the next 20 minutes running up and bringing beer to the stage. That's great. <laughs> I'm like, oh, dude. 
<laughs> That's great. I could so see him doing that too. He just don't boom, do just lay it out there. He's just he was just all over it. I I asked you for an hour, and I'm not going to take any more advantage of your time because, frankly, I could go two hours with you. Oh man, right? I love anytime I can be on. I want to be on because I like talking to you. I always learn something from you. So. Well, I just love talking, and I didn't even get around to talking about, because I wanted to talk about all the different people you've written with. I wanted to get your impressions on that. I want to go down farther, and and I'll make my list of the top 10 songs, and you make your list of the top 10 songs, and and I would would love to just explore that and, and, you know... and talk about some of the things that maybe you know of what happened and and how did it go or what was the story you heard uh because okay. i i love I, I obviously i love country music and i and i really yes. love studying the history of it you know because yes, it's, yes. It's, oh the people in it it's i i think i think they i think nationally country music isn't that cute mm. that's the attitude i get is it that? But you're not doing real stuff. And I'd be willing to say some of the most impactful, legendary songs are in country music. Oh, yeah. I yeah. think you're exactly right. Yeah. It yeah. Is, you know, yeah, we remember Rock Around the Clock and uh, Maybelline, but they didn't mean anything. They right. were iconic, right. didn't mean anything. And mm-hmm. I think songs that truly meant stuff. You know, this is where, this is where literature lives. You may not think it, but it's where literature lives. I do think it is, you know, I always say blue collar poetry. And I, and sometimes it almost feels like haiku when it's done right. Like it's just, it doesn't look like if you look at it, there's no fancy words, but what it's saying is so big, you know, it, it just owns you, you know, and you know, there's some, there's, I love, I'll put together a little list of some songs that are at least quirky list of t- 10 great songs and and uh listen i tell you what trailers for sailor at rooms to let 50 cents i mean talk, right. paint a picture and yeah. this guy turns around and rips your heart out with husbands and wives uh, husbands and wives is what i was thinking of just like that that how what genre is that that gives you a song like husbands and wives and it's a hit again for brooks and dunn and somebody could sing it right now and it would be true to us, you know, in that moment. You know, it's just that song alone is just a <laughs> a machine, you know. Wouldn't you? I'd be interested to hear what Marin Morris would sound like singing that. Oh, I love that idea. I may, I may text her and say, hey, Gary had a great idea. You could at least sing it on his podcast. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Do the podcast with me. You know, you have incredible guests, by the way. I was listening. You've had all kinds of guests on there. I felt like the least qualified uh, visitor to your uh, establishment. Uh, I, I've been having so much fun. But yeah, you and uh, you are one of my big gets. And uh, I'm going to make you arm twist Luke Laird. Oh, I'll do it. I'll be, I'm going to I think I'm going to see him tonight. I'll give him some pressure on it. So, yeah, tell him, uh, tell him it's the other thing because I love you guys. And to be honest, singers are fun. And I love talking to singers. I really do. And mm-hmm. I don't mean yeah. this to birch anybody. But songwriters are where you get to have the co- cold conversations. You really it, we, we live in a different little room. So do you. We, we're in the little rooms, right? <laughs> Not in the big rooms, right? That's it. That's it. Yeah. Life in the little room. Maybe that's the name of our book, Barry. That's right? the book. That's the book. Life in the little room. Because it really is a different energy, right? When they're tired and they sit down with you and 
probably plop down and grab a pillow if there's a couch, you know, and just that's their moment to breathe and they're kind of tired. And we have the same experience in the writing room that they're, they're a little tired and they're, but they're getting ready for the big thing, but we're, where they got this thing they're going to do with us. And, and, uh, we get a, we get to see both people at the same time, kind of John Cash and Johnny Cash. You know? Next time, uh, next time you come on, I, I told my, my wife was, cause I was talking about how I was going to be talking to you. And my wife was telling some friends and she goes, yeah, she goes, yeah, I, I, I grew up with Barry. I may or may not have had a crush on him. And she goes, don't tell him that. And I said, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> well, she was the sweetest. She, you know, she, she was very kind and, and that family, her family was really kind and, so yeah, that's uh, but they were they I think I don't know if that's where they're from originally, but they had come from Tulsa, Oklahoma oh. to to Pittsburgh, Kansas, and and uh, yeah, it's amazing and and you know it, you've been so kind to us on the radio when I we were coming out to play the show, you know, letting me talk about Lucy and letting us talk about songs. I just appreciate we, all of it. We didn't get a chance to talk about Lucy, and that's no, what we've we, done it. Yeah, well, no, I want to get on the podcast. I literally you can't see it, but the top line. Right there. Can you see it? Lucy. L-U-C. Oh, yeah. Well, we'll, we'll. And I didn't forget to run to it because I got so involved in our conversation as we went. So the good news right. is, is we get back and you need guys to look it up. Look up the website. L-U-C-I. That's what I was going to tell you. Why why Barry's so busy? I mean, he does this songwriting thing and then he goes and tries to make the world better by uh, doing stuff yeah. here. So it's L-U-C-I. It's, it's remarkable. It's a technology that I can't believe it didn't exist until you started working on it. No, it's been, it's been a journey. Now we're doing that investor thing. So hopefully I'll be out your way soon. I'm coming out. There's some sort of Masters of Scale conference I'm coming out to. And we were out there for a fortune thing. And so hopefully I get to spend more time out there with you in that great weather and, and get to see you maybe. and Because uh, I've never been to the club either, by the way. I've only been to the club. And you know my wife would kill to take you out to dinner or have you over for dinner. One or the other. Oh, I'd love it. I would love it. I will do it. We will make it happen. And I'll put some pressure on Luke Laird. He's got all kinds of silly stories from those songs he's written. So we got to get him on here I'll, I'll send you a few little secret uh i'm gonna give a, a little information up on him so uh see what happens all right my friend until <laughs> next time we are we're going to compare notes on songs i can't wait all right take care thank you so much thanks for joining us this week if you love this episode please subscribe download a few more episodes and please leave a review reviews really help us get this out to more people like you Also, we'd love to hear what your favorite part was. Be sure to join us on social media to engage in even more unexpected conversations. Until next time.